Welcome to Truly Fit, the online fitness marketplace connecting pros and clients through unique fitness business software. Welcome to the Truly Fit Podcast. I am your host, Steve Washuda, co-founder of Truly Fit and author of Fitness Business 101. On today's podcast, I speak with Allison Jackson. Allison is a New Jersey native, like myself. She is a coach, a personal trainer. Uh, Allison Jackson Fitness, you can find her at. She's a full-time corporate communication professional. And most importantly for this podcast, she is a professional figure competitor. That is what we're going to be discussing today. Her process in getting ready for the stage. Passing on that information, not only for people who want to get on stage, but really, I try to use this time with Allison to pass on information to personal trainers who are helping their clients, whether it's their first time or they work with clients on a regular basis who are trying to be a professional figure competitor. And we go over the general lifting format that she uses for her contest preparation, whether that is you know muscle separation, periodization, things of that nature. We go over maybe what muscles matter more and more visually or aesthetically that we should be aware of when you're on stage from a judging standpoint. What is the amount of time that someone should expect to go from zero to hero, to go from not being on the stage to be able to get on the stage? Uh, are the competitions clean? Are there different levels of competitions? We also delve into the last 72 hours, which are very important, according to Allison, to getting on stage, what you have to do to, to sort of tweak your, your water intake and your sodium and your diet to be contest prep ready. So uh, this was a very interesting, very fascinating conversation, something that is intriguing to a lot of people. And I hope that this information can be used for our personal trainers and our group fitness instructors to pass on to their clients. With no further ado, here's Allison. Allison, thanks for joining the Truly Fit Podcast. Why don't you give the audience a background on who you are and what it is you do in fitness and health? Absolutely. Thanks, Steve, so much for having me on. I appreciate it. So I am a born and raised Jersey girl. I'm married. I have two teenagers. Um, I actually am I'm a full-time corporate communications professional, but I'm also a professional figure competitor. And um, it's funny, I always say my business found me because I started competing in 2012. And lo and behold, a few years in, people kept asking me, like, what are you doing to get stage ready? Like, how are you losing weight? Um, so I actually started coaching people um, and it evolved into this business, Allison Jackson Fitness. It's all online and virtual. I don't prep people for competitions, which I know most people find hard to believe, but um, I typically help type A corporate busy women um, get healthy, get lean, eating foods they love by tracking macros. Cool. So it's a more of a general population training. You're mm -hmm. working with people who are nine to five, they're busy, they're working in their gyms. Although you are obviously, you have experience as a figure competitor, that's not your sort of niche now. And the reason is, is because you just don't love it as much or why did you pick this niche instead? You know, it's funny. I, um, I struggle so much getting myself ready for a competition that it's like for me to get someone else ready. Like, I just feel like as a coach, it's very, it's much more, um, gru grueling and laborious and intensive when you're prepping somebody for a show versus just prepping them to be healthier. Yeah. all makes perfect sense. And I think and I talk about this a lot young personal trainers really fight to quickly sort of what I call like niche out and they can't wait to get a niche and do it. And then there's always a, there's like a, a career arc. And typically 
as we get older, we, we don't niche. We go back to the general population because uh, once you've built your schedule and you've built a reputation and you have maybe even a waiting list of people who want to work with you, it's much easier to work with the general population. And frankly, it's a little bit more, more fun, I, I think. And I think that's yeah. just the, the natural career arc of a lot of trainers. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. So although that's not exactly your niche, you do have a lot of experience doing it, obviously, and it's uh, a lot of accolades, too, as well. I was reading about all of your, uh, your, your wins and your places in the uh, figure competition. So I'm going to sort of go down this scenario with you that I am a personal trainer, which I am, um, mm-hmm. and I maybe, let's say, for the first time, I have a client who wants to be in these competitions. They want to go on stage. They want to train for these things. So I'm going to ask questions along those lines. And then you could answer as if you're passing along the information to me, which you are. Um, So from a lifting format, and you can talk in sort of personal trainer lingo, because that's who listens to this podcast. What is the sort of modalities that you do you use? Is it sort of muscle separation? Is it like your standard, what we consider like bodybuilding lifting, where one day you're doing buys and tries the next day you're doing pushing like chest and shoulders the next day you're doing maybe a lower body things of that nature is there a periodization how exactly do you go about that yeah so we do a whole mix of that we do a lot of periodization um and i typically my training doesn't change much year round so i am still lifting heavy all the compound lifts as well as the accessory work throughout the whole year um the only thing that does change is as leading up to a competition, I'm training six days a week versus maybe four or five using um, at the off season for more recovery. Uh, but during that time, I cycle through the heavy, medium and light lifts. I'm doing, you know, compound sets, supersets. Um, I typically fi- find that two days on one day off um, just works really well. And sometimes I'll throw in an extra day of recovery. Like I try to make some days just active rest, whether it's yoga, uh, just a long walk or stretching. Um, but a lot of, you know, the usual bodybuilder squats, deadlifts, bench press. Um, I know a lot of people, a lot of women think that the exercises and workouts are different for them, but it's the same as the guys are doing. We're doing the same thing. It's just a matter of depending on what category you're competing in. So I'm figure, you know, bikinis, a little less muscular physique and bodybuilding are much more muscular is how much heavier you go and how much more muscle you need to build. But those exercises really stay the same. Do people typically start out in bikini because it's less muscular as they start to build their frame or, the, or that's not necessarily the case? It really depends on how much muscle an individual uh, is carrying. So when I started back in 2012, I went right into figure. I never started in bikini. Uh, but most girls that maybe don't have a lot of lifting experience, don't carry a lot of muscle, they do start in bikini. But some women, um, you know, I'm on a team. Some women, they start out in physique. Like they're 20 pounds heavier than me, same height, you know, and they just have a lot more muscle. Yeah, I actually yeah. trained only one time uh, for a bikini competition. Not me. I trained somebody for a bikini competition. <laughs> that would be uh, weird. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, I wouldn't place. Uh, and uh, this was... Uh, no age for whatever reason, meaning like there was no particular age limit, but she was 41 and she came in third. She did fantastic. But again, it was a, it was like you, like you were uh, alluding to, we didn't do a lot of work. We only prepped for maybe four or five, six weeks leading into it. This was, you know, her taking care of herself all year round and sort of already having the physique to, to, to be on stage. So that's another question I want to ask you is that for somebody who wants to get into this, let's say I have a mm-hmm. client who is of uh, average build um, and they want to go into bikini or into the next stage, right? Into figure competitors. Do you, do you say 
hey, this is going to take maybe a year of preparation? Like what exactly is, is the timeline? Yeah, it's really important to evaluate um, where they're at. So how much weight training have they done? Are they starting from ground zero? If they are, you do want them to have a year of at least building muscle. If they've been in the gym and they know, you know, they know the lifts, they've been lifting, they have a pretty good base, depending on how much body fat, you know, what they're, how far are they from stage weight? So if you have a girl who, you know, like you said, your, your, um, your client only needed a couple of weeks. So if you're within seven to 10 pounds of your stage weight, yeah, you might only need 10 to 12 weeks to get ready. But if you have, you know, a person who is 20, 30 pounds, they're going to need like six to eight months of slow, steady weight loss to really reach that goal. Did you yourself seek out a coach and have a coach? If not, why not? Uh, if you did, how did you come about them? Can you do it just virtually or do you think you need someone on site? So um, competing in figure competitions has always been a bucket list item. That was on my list since I was 16 years old, reading my dad's muscle and fitness magazines. Uh, and I always was like, could I do this myself? I mean, I read a lot about the training, the diet, but um, when I did my first show, I definitely found um, someone that had done it and like specialized in it, like was really good at it. Um, and I highly recommend they're going to help you in so many ways. There were so many things I did not know. I did not know you had to practice posing. I didn't know there were certain, you know, things you had to consider as you're depleting, you know, depleting carbs, the whole cycling of water and sodium and all that stuff. So, um, I don't think you necessarily need somebody in person. I mean, I think virtual works, but it is super beneficial like my trainer is 40 minutes away. I see him, I'm two weeks out from a show. So I see him every month. I train with him. He weighs and measures me. He makes sure he can look and say, yeah, you're on track. You're not on track. Um, I think it's really important, but I think you can do that you know, with pictures. And, um, but I think those calipers getting that body fat measurement is key. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. So as far as being on stage, I'm always very intrigued when I come past the pictures of you know, why somebody wins and why someone doesn't. Because to me, it's not always obvious. What exactly are the judges looking for? And are there particular muscles in which are more important than other muscles that, that mm -hmm. the competitors try to focus on? Yeah, so I'll speak specifically to uh, female figure competitors. Um, so what you want is you want the rounded, built shoulders and deltoids. So you want that V taper. You want the broad back, the tiny waist. Um, you want the, the quad sweep. Um, you want to be lean. You want to be for women in the single digit body fat. So uh, right now I'm at 12. I'm hoping to be seven or eight by the time I step on stage. Um, so you want, if you can, a six pack, you want a nice lifted butt. You don't want any sag. You don't want any jiggle. Um, you want to come in really super tight. And it's really important for women, especially. I know a lot of women like to disregard working their chest or other air body parts that they just think don't matter. You need to have that balance. You need to really work everything because when you are flexed on stage, it all shows up. So you talked a little bit about the specific body fat percentages. Uh, I, I would assume bikini is a bit less. What, what would you say? That's like 12 to 14 or 10 to 14 range? Yeah, I definitely would say low double digits. Okay, uh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. Water intake, I know that's a big deal for, uh, you know, vanity in general, right? As, in order to get that, that proper look, the sort of a thin skin look, you have to sort of manipulate water intake. I don't know much about it. I know it needs to be done. Can you speak to that? Did you do some of that? Yeah. So um, that last week leading up, you will drink a ton of water and really limit your sodium. 
And then as you get closer to your date, you start to actually reduce the water and just increase the sodium slightly. So it's basically pulling that water out to get that thin skin, super lean, but you really wanna be careful. You don't wanna do the diuretics. You don't wanna do anything crazy because it can be very dangerous, uh, but it's really important. You're really monitoring exactly how much water and sodium you're taking in to be able to manipulate it. And then as well as your carb intake. I know there's different levels to this, but in, in sort of like the more local levels, are they testing for things or is it just sort of a, you know, a, a free game if people show up? What can you do? They don't have the, the finances and time to test people. So uh, that is a great question. And my first show, I won't name organizations, but my first show was an organization that did not test. And I was a little bit horrified seeing who I was competing against with um, people that obviously had a little bit of help. Uh, so I will only compete in natural organizations and they do make you take a lie detector test. And if you win, so when I got my pro card, you have to take a urine test. Um, so they test so that I will only compete in natural organizations because I just don't think it's, I'm not putting anything in my body that's illegal or going to compromise my health. And I'm not going to compete in organizations that let you do that. That's interesting. They use a lie detector test. Is it because it's less expensive or because uh, that's just how that they've always done it? Yeah, it's less expensive and the results are immediate. Yeah, that makes sense. I would have, I would have never guessed that. I would have assumed uh, like you said, they, that they would just test maybe the final three uh, people who have placed or something and then, you know, adjusted accordingly. If first place failed, they would give the award to second place and so on and so forth. But the, the, it makes sense using a lie detector test. I, I like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's talk a little bit more about sort of that contest preparation the last few weeks. You talked mm -hmm. about the water. What about the, the food? Are you, uh, is the diet drastically different, let's say, six weeks out than it is two weeks out? Yeah, so as you get closer, um, so six weeks out, I started eliminating, because what, what you find is obviously the, the leaner you get, the harder it is to lose the weight, um, especially as you get older. So I'm 48, so you know it's, it's the, the uphill battle. Six weeks out, I start eliminating dairy. I start eliminating all processed foods, including protein powder and protein bars. Um, I eliminate red meat. You're gonna do anything to shock your body into trying to release that body fat. So that's six weeks out, two weeks out, uh, people are going to probably cringe at what I'm having now, but um, I alternate between 1200 and 1100 calories. I'm between 75 and 50 carbs. Um, most of what I'm eating is egg whites, fish, rice cakes, spinach, asparagus, like very low carb um, vegetables. And then just <laughs> for my, my sweet treat is either uh, flavored coffee or diet soda, caffeine free. Uh, otherwise, I, I feel like I'm perpetually on caffeine, um, but it's you're perpetually hungry and you, and you look for tricks. So I try to delay breakfast to 10 a.m., eat at noon, two, four, six and try to just have like 200 calories every two hours yeah. so that it doesn't feel like I am because, you know, by the end of the night, I'm like starving. Sure. That makes sense. And then what about sort of um, and you don't you don't have to tell us this, but during the sort of off season, if you were still thinking, let's say you were going to compete in March and it was like six or seven months in, in advance of that, or what is your diet like then comparatively speaking to the, the diet six weeks out and two weeks out? Yeah. So what I typically do is, um, after a show, depending on when my next show is like, say I finish a show and I'm going into off season. Mm -hmm. Um, it's really important. I made this mistake in my first, you know, just starting out, you want to reverse diet. So essentially the way I leaned out is the way we're going to gain the weight back. 
and your diet is going to generally stay the same. You want to try to eat the healthy foods. Like I don't just go and turn to pizza and ice cream. Um, you just gradually increase your calories, hundred to 50 to hundred every week, depending on what your weight is doing. Um, but that's the healthy way to, you have to build back. You can't sustainably stay at that low body fat. Um, and the only way to grow during the off season is to gain weight and you're going to gain some muscle and you're going to gain some fat, but you want to try to keep your diet fairly clean, you know, 80% whole, good, healthy foods, 20%, you know, the occasional pasta wine, slice of pizza. Most people obviously struggle with one particular area of their body, whether it's they, it's hard to get the, the rear delt built, or maybe they have smaller legs, they have chicken legs, they're hard to get the muscle on the legs. Was there an area you felt that you struggled? And if so, how did you overcome it? Was it particular exercises or what exactly did you do? Great question. So my nemesis is my ass, <laughs> which is, I think, the case for most women. Well, um, and it, but, but that can work in either direction. So it could be that it's not muscular enough, or it could be that it's, uh, you know, larger than people want and they have to reduce the size. So that could be, that could be either way, right? For competition. Yes, yes, no. absolutely. No, the, the, you're absolutely right. I struggled with, I had a somewhat flat square butt and I actually have, um, I think it's on my Instagram, but I actually have the progression of my butt from 2012 to now. And the change is like unbelievable. Like I can't wait. It is you know, all the traders favorite butt exercises. So squats, hip thrusts, walking lunges, deadlifts. Um, I literally work my butt every day. I do at least two exercises for my butt every day. So it's a finisher on my leg workouts and then it's added on cardio days and upper body days. And it's just like, you know, um, anything from the glute ham raise to some extra leg curls to kickbacks, um, anything to just kind of fire up that muscle. Yeah. And that would seem to make sense during sort of competitions that this may be obvious, but everyone's bodies are a little bit different. So there's people whose workout is going to be much different because like you said, there might be people who have to work on their butt maybe every other day, as opposed to somebody else who just can't build their back and they have to do more back exercises during the week than, than you would. And I think having a coach is that's why it's important, right? Cause they have to point out yes. their, the sort of things that they're missing. And it could be objective, right? So you might think you look a certain way, but having that you know, third-party perspective on like, well, I think you could do a little better is super helpful. So how many competitions is, uh, in your opinion, like healthy to partake in a year without having to sort of worry about your mental or physical capacity? So it's funny, the first, when I first started competing, I always did just one. I was like, oh my God, that's all I can handle is one. And then um, in 2019, so I took 2020 off, glad I did, because obviously everything was canceled. Um, in 2019, I did five uh, and it was grueling. And some of them were within two weeks of each other. Some of them were within a month of each other. Um, it really depends on how... It's funny because it's like you almost need to go into the competition season with a strategy. What's your goal? Are you trying to get a pro card? Are you trying to just take place in the top three? Just want the experience? I mean, one is fine. You just want the experience because don't forget, not only is it a lot of prep, it's expensive. So as a woman, you are registration fee, lie detector test, hair, makeup, bikini. I have a posing coach, heels, jewelry. So wow. it, you know show after show starts to add up after a while. So I think it's really important to have a strategy, know what you want to get out of it, know why, why you're doing it. Um, for me this year, um, I want my, I have my master's pro card. I want my open pro card. 
Um, and then I'm, I'm competing nationally in Pittsburgh. So I just want to, obviously I want to win, but top three, I would be happy with too. Well, congratulations on that. And is this, um, I spoke to you before that the one particular bikini competition I worked with, with my client, she wasn't in sort of like an age range, but do, do they have that age range typically? They do. So they have masters and it varies. So sometimes it's over 40, sometimes it's over 45, sometimes over 50. Then they also have over 60, over 70. I mean, you should see some of the people that are over 70 still competing. It's amazing. Um, but then they have for show novice. Um, some of them are based on height. Like they have different, obviously height classes, um, but my husband always jokes like, oh, he's like, just keep crushing the old lady uh, category. <laughs> and is there a, uh, I guess, what, what is the apex? I'm unfamiliar with it. I know like it's Mr. Olympia. Is there a, a Miss Olympia as well? There is. There's a natural Olympia that is in Las Vegas. I'm sure the, the organization escapes me, but the one that I'm doing in Pittsburgh is actually a very um, popular one among like the natural. So it's the OCB. Um, the official competition bodybuilder, I, I don't know what the acronym is, but it's, it's the Yorton OCB World Championship um, in Pittsburgh. So it's a it's a fairly big show, but there is they do have like a natural Olympia, which I wish the Mr. Olympia was, <laughs> was a little more natural. But I know that's like that's like the the epitome of, uh, of bodybuilding. So. I'm going to go over some of the points here and then anything you think that I missed or something that comes to mind, feel free to throw it in afterwards. Yep. It, it is obviously important to kind of uh, measure or look how far out you could potentially be from a competition. If you have somebody who's never lifted before, they're going to take a little bit more time. Somebody who's in very good shape. You can maybe be in a, obviously a smaller week range. It is important to have a coach because on your first time, you're not going to really understand how to go through the processes. You might not be objective. It's important to have a, um, what you called a, uh, a stage coach or a pose coach, because that's a whole new thing that even if you're a, you know, a, a bodybuilder in great shape, uh, you, you don't understand that, that side of the, the, the business. It's important to uh, maybe save up a little bit financially to go to some of these shows, because obviously between hair and makeup and potentially travel and registration, a lie detector test, that's expensive. Um, as far as the, uh, the, the, the musculature and the lifting style is concerned, we went over that. It's, pretty standard what you would think uh, just the same thing as a guy bodybuilder doing a, a female stage competitor is doing where you know you have some sort of periodization or you have you know you eventually work towards lower reps and we sort of separate body parts is there anything else you would sort of pass on to a personal trainer who is thinking about or actually starting working with someone who's thinking about going on stage i think it's really important to um keep track of their their mental state their mindset um especially women you know as we get leaner some of the health things that come up are, you know, you lose your cycle. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that as a result of competitions, a lot of people get body dysmorphia and eating disorders because you get to such a level of leanness. And this happened to me when I first started is like, you feel fat when you go back to a normal weight because you're yeah. so lean. So yeah. I think it's really important for personal trainers to make sure they, they stay on top of kind of the mental health of their clients if they are going to do a competition because you need a really strong mindset. Yeah, that's great advice and a great point. We, we tend not to think about that because we see people who are in, you know, tip top shape and we think, you know, they have it all, but that's, um, there's always a, a complex that could necessarily come along with that because 
again, like we talked about, that's, you know, if you're at the absolute threshold, the top of what you're going to look like at a certain point, and for most of the year, you don't look like that, then obviously just the natural human nature is to compare yourself to how you were at your best. Yeah, for sure. It's funny. I just did a rant on Instagram this week because people keep emailing me like, you look so good. What are you doing? Like, what's your workout? What are you eating? And I'm like, yeah, I feel like crap though. I don't sleep well. I lost my cycle. Um, I'm constantly hungry. Like, yeah, I look great, but I feel like crap. Like you should focus on feeling good. Like nobody knows what I, you know, like nobody knows what you weigh. If you're battling five pounds or seven pounds, is it really worth it in the end? So that's my, that was my tirade this past week. <laughs> well, they, you know, they need more people like you who are, who are honest. People are typically, mm-hmm. there's a, you know, I've, I've talked about this in a, another podcast, there's sort of a, a facade where people pretend that the vanity also somehow coincides with health. And that's not always the case, right? You, we've mm-hmm. seen people and we, you just, we just talked about it, who are on all sorts of illicit drugs, who, if you took their labs in a doctor's office would look like they're not going to make it to 55, but you know, they have an eight pack and they have 6% body fat. So you know, that it's important that you know, it's a competition like anything else. And you're learning about your body, as you talked about, and, and understanding those things, those the nuances of losing weight and building muscle and looking a certain way. And it's fantastic. But um, the, the mental side is important. And as trainers, we're not necessarily taught how to do that. But it is important that we learn, if we care about our clients, that we learn to, to notice if something is off. Yeah, for sure. It's so important. So let's talk a little bit about you and your business. Otherwise, uh, you do on-site training, virtual training, a little bit of both. How do you how do you go about your business? I actually do everything virtually. Um, for workouts, I have my own app. Um, I'm mainly focused on nutrition coaching, so I coach um, you know tracking macros. Um, and yeah, and so I've I've published a book, I have a podcast, and I've really gotten into more of wellness speaking and really talking about. What we just talked about, about looking good versus feeling good, um, trying to break that diet and exercise culture that says you really need to torture yourself in order to, you know, look and feel a certain way. Yeah. And it seems like there's been a push. There's, you know, the uh, I just did a podcast on intuitive eating. I, I don't have a necessarily a thought behind it. Uh, n- neither pro nor con, but it was just interesting to hear that that's sort of a, an industry fad now that that seems to be at least mentally healthier than a lot of the other diets where, where you're such a stickler to, to going off the diet. And then people have this bad relationship with food where they think, okay, I ate one wrong thing. And then I have to like sort of punish myself on the next meal um, exactly. or I have to do an extra mile outside. And it's just, that's, that's just an, like an unhealthy chain of events that gets started. Yeah, for sure. So this was fantastic information for the personal trainers, Allison. Can you give uh, everyone else the uh, easiest way to find you, whether they want to contact you directly with questions, whether they want to potentially work with you and any other medium that you have to be found uh, digitally or otherwise? Yes, for sure. I would love to come visit me at uh, www.allisonjacksonfitness.com. And you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Allison Jackson Fitness. And I am happy to answer any additional questions anyone has about competing, training, all of you both. Awesome. That's very nice of you. Thank you very much, Allison. I hope to have you on another podcast down the road. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the Truly Fit Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your listening platform. And feel free to email us. We'd love to hear from you. Social at trulyfit.app. Thanks again.